You mentioned that you learned of a new term this week? Yes, rage clicking. I think I know what that is, but how do you define that? When people get irritated on your website and so they just like click a whole bunch of times in a row and then give up out of frustration or anger. You know, there's a lot of fun terms that are kind of related to user experience and user behavior in digital. I wondered if you heard of some of these. Have you heard of the term scrolly telling? It basically, as it, as it sounds, combines scrolling and storytelling to describe a technique used in digital media where content unfolds as you scroll down the page. Didn't know it had a name, I guess. Here's another one. Infobesity. Can you guess what that is? I'd rather not. It describes the overwhelming abundance of information available, often leading to information overload. I wasn't sure where we were heading with that, but okay. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 336. That is Chris Boyer and Reed Smith. Hey, Reed. How's it going? I'm just over here rage clicking on my computer. <laughs> nice. And I'm, I may have said 336th, like as in straight oh, yeah. or something. Anyway, it's just episode 336. So anyway, welcome one and all. Certainly appreciate you uh, tuning in for yet another week of Touchpoint. We love doing this every week and appreciate the listenership. And as each of you have been kind, not maybe not each of you, but a number of you have been kind to do is reach out and give us feedback, thoughts, comments. You see us at conferences or just reach out via LinkedIn. That means a lot. Uh, certainly the nice words are, are, are awesome and we'll always take that, but I'd also love to know what's on top of mind. Maybe people we should have on the show, topics we should cover, things like that. So track us down. I would love that. Love that input. Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can find out more about this show, but also sign up for the TPS report, which is an email. comes out every Monday morning with five articles to start your week. Hopefully, you'll uh, find that to be a little value add in addition to this Wednesday release. So we'll give you a minute. You can pop over to touchpoint.health and sign up for the TPS report. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
We're going to start off today's episode with a famous quote from Voltaire. Read. All right. Perfect is the enemy of good. I'm sure you've heard that before. Yeah. Did he actually say that? <laughs> it could be one of those internet things. Yeah, is this like a Henry Ford with the freaking everybody wanted a faster <laughs> horse thing or something? Anyway, no, I have heard perfect is the enemy of good. And there is a lot of truth to that, right? I mean, it's like, when is good enough good enough? You know, that's something I struggle with every day, quite honestly, relative to just, you know, the experience that our consumers have. We could always try to create and better the process, and I think we should do mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But when do we get in our own way? I guess you know, right? And ultimately, kind of short side what we what we offer, uh, or the speed to execution, or you know, whatever other kind of phrase you want to use. So, if you're tuning in this week to learn about technology or marketing advancements or just anything related to healthcare today, we're not going to be talking about those things. We're actually focusing on this design principle. It's even a work principle that we use a lot. It's interesting that this comes up quite frequently all over wherever we are and in the work that you and I do, because oftentimes the people that we work with, they are striving for perfection. And maybe the people that we work for are striving for perfection. And that's a big challenge when we're talking about this concept of when good enough is actually good enough. Yeah, I think in two you know, I, I am a perfectionist by nature of just, I like things to be a certain way. I've got my own expectation of what perfection means or good enough means even. And that's part of the problem, right? Or that's where we struggle a little bit is like, you know, everybody's experience, everybody's perception is different. And that's true for this idea, this concept. That That's why it makes it hard. And, and I think, you know, I find myself, it's easy for me to shut my door and just get lost in creating a PowerPoint, for example. Need to report out to senior leadership, got to put together all this stuff. And I can whittle on that really as long as you give me. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like it's an internal presentation. Does that really matter? Right. It, what's the equity between all right, me spending a couple of hours and getting my basic thoughts down and the information that I need them to know down and then going and presenting that versus me spending two weeks and doing the same thing, like what's what's the equity there between the two scenarios? You know, is there any, you know, and I think that's kind of where Chris, you and I kind of started down this path, this conversation a few weeks ago. And I don't know, it's just, it's an interesting, interesting thing to think about. You know, I actually was first faced with this many, many years ago, well over 10 years ago, I was working on a website project, a design project. We're trying to understand what the users of this hospital website were doing. And the concept around us trying to redesign this website was we want to try to address what our consumers' needs are. So the way we actually structured the survey was we asked them, what are your top three tasks that you're here to do? And of all of the 850 respondents, we were able to find out that there were actually five tasks that more than 75% of the people were coming to the website to do. And then I turned to my team and I said, hey, if we could accomplish these five tasks and do them really well from a design perspective, then what we're doing here is we're actually solving a lot of needs. So let's focus in on those things first. That was my first like real life tangible interface with this concept of what good enough could be. 
I'm sure you have a couple of anecdotes to share too, right, Reed? Yeah, I do. And it's funny, it's coming off the heels of actually being at um, the Forrester Consumer Experience North America Conference, which was really great, you know, getting to hear from, you know, kind of CX leaders from across all these industries and all these big brands and some of them it's you know super interesting and there's a tie in there and some of it it's a little harder to draw the connection you know whatever but it's really fascinating to talk to some of these folks but one of the concepts that Peter Wanamaker, um, he is a, an analyst there at Forrester he presented some some studies and some findings anyway one of the topics he talked about though was subtractive innovation mm. and so it got me thinking because I knew we were doing this podcast this idea that you know, we're always thinking from an additive standpoint, how we're always looking at, let's get a new piece of technology to do that. Let's add a new step. Let's add a new this. Let's add a new that. It's very additive, right? As we think mm-hmm. about experience or we think about kind of what we do. And so maybe we need to actually start removing some of these parts and pieces. And so it's like, I'm thinking about this. It's like, you know, when is good enough, good enough. I find myself always, oh, that, that's cool. Like we should add that and, Ooh, let's create this piece and build that in. And, you know, Ooh, you know, look at this project management software. Like this would be cool to use, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Right. And it's like, sometimes it's like, we're just making it more complicated or more dense than the process really needs to be. When, when is good enough? Good enough. You know, I'm not even talking about like a product, a work product. Maybe it's the process or how we work or what we do or you know that that kind of thing. So today's conversation is going to be about this principle of good enough being good enough. One of the first articles that we found, and most of these articles come from user experience UX people, because this is a well-known adage in the design space, but we can apply it to pretty much anything. The first article is, is called Good Enough is Good Enough, Letting Go of Perfectionism to Get Things Done. So this one goes right up your alley, Reed. As a perfectionist. As a perfectionist. Other people may not think I'm a perfectionist. I don't know. But But I find myself kind of in that. And I'm a creature of habit. And I like to have a routine. And so all this kind of leads down this path. But it's interesting. This article talks about the fact that the principle of good enough suggests that you should identify the point past which putting much more resources into something won't improve its meaningful manner. See, that's a much better way of saying what I've already said. (laughs) That's the point, right? And so like you should wrap it up and move on. And they gave a couple of examples. Like these are examples that are just every, you know, everyday life, right? Like if you're looking to exercise, just figuring out an initial exercise plan is good enough, right? And just to get started, you can improve it. But really, the intention of getting starting exercising is getting in the habit of doing that. So it doesn't matter what your first exercise regime is. Just get out there and start exercising on a regular basis. That's a great example. Yeah, it's like, don't, don't overthink it. Or like writing a book. You could say, I want to write a book, but you could get lost in trying to finish the most perfect book, which, spoiler alert, none exists, you know, in this particular case, getting down that path of starting to write the book is an effort in and of itself, even though you may not end up with your first draft being the most perfect book. Similarly, we could see that with PowerPoint too, right, Reed? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that was, that was kind of my point, I guess, with the PowerPoint piece. Websites are easy to point to. You know, we like to talk about websites because we spend a lot of time 
building, creating, evolving that presence. It's an interesting concept, right? Of just, okay, if there's a meaningful change you could make on the website, just make it. Like it didn't have to be more than that, I guess, is kind of their point. I think I guess those are some of the agile frameworks come from and things like that, maybe. Yeah, and this concept of like it, it go, this goes into software design, it goes into product design, whatever. Have you ever heard of the term MVP or minimal viable product? Yeah, absolutely. That's basically the principle of this, right? Is like making sure that your product is just good enough rather than perfect. And that could be considered an MVP or a minimal viable product. It's important in all of these cases, Reed, to make sure that the level defined as good enough is actually good enough for your purposes. And we're going to talk about that as we go through today's podcast. And the other thing they want to I want to reassert here is that we're not saying that you just got to do low quality work all the time. Rather, you should clearly identify what that means, what good enough is. Yeah, I mean, you do have to ultimately create where is that line in the sand? Right. Because you, you don't want to put out junk. Right. Or like, hey, did this guy even prep for this meeting? Like, what's exactly going on you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> he knew he knew he was coming. Right. Like, I don't, what, what, is, what is this? You know, kind of a thing. So, again, it's not that it's like, hey, just throw caution to the wind and just draw stuff on a sheet of paper and then copy it and take it in there. But, you know, where is that line? This article is, is pretty good, but it wraps up with this concept called Parkinson's Law which is the adage that work expands so as to fill the time which is available for its completion. That sounds to me like when you're closing the door and building that PowerPoint and you could spend as much time as you want on it, I think you're following Parkinson's law in that particular case. I just call that, it's like my closet analogy or attic analogy, like however much you have is what you fill. So it's like big attic and we'll put stuff in there. I like that. That's much better than the Parkinson's law. But if anytime, you know, your boss asks you, why did you spend like two hours in your office with the door closed? You could say, "Ah, I was following Parkinson's law. Um, But how about this, Reed? When we come back from the break, let's talk a little bit about a rule that I think many of us know that we can apply in our day-to-day lives to strike against this whole concept of perfectionism. And we'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. So now it's time to actually cure my perfectionism. No, um, or (laughs) anyone's perfectionism or whatever. Yeah, so this is in particular particular talking about design perfectionism and something called the 80-20 rule. I've heard that before, 80-20 rule. Well, it talks about, it kind of kicks off this idea that top designers, this is not really my world, so I'm going to take their word for it here. Top designers produce four times the amount of output of other designers. And do you think everything they create is great? Question mark, not a chance. (laughs) 
the reason they create great work is because they do it without the worry of being perfect. That is an interesting concept, right? Like a lot of artists, and I know we're talking about design here, so it's one and the same in some conversations, I guess. But if you think about like fine art, right, like painters or something like that, some of it is is literally just repetition and just doing it. Like they just they just do it and do it and do it. And, you know, it's just more and more and more and more and more. And so it's like, you know, this guy has sculpted for years. It's like that Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hours thing. You know, we can argue about whether or not that's real or not. But it's kind of that concept a little from an expertise standpoint, maybe. So using this 80-20 rule, it's a helpful concept to keep in mind when you're when you're trying to determine what good enough means for you in any particular situation. And specifically, the rule states that roughly 20% of the work you do will be responsible for 80% of the outcomes. Mm. And they go on in this article, okay, it is talking about designers. By the way, in this particular case, they are talking about graphic designers, but it could also be software designers or experienced designers for that matter. They say even if you're a top designer, your 80% is actually better than most people's 100%. And then so dropping your ideal quality of work to that 80% threshold is still a very high bar. So it's a high level. So it's saying it's okay to not try to be 100% here. Huh. No one says that. Like No, that's <laughs> not a, no one teaches that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like every coach you've ever had is like, you know, let's give 110%. You know, so, it's, so you get kind of ingrained or, you know, this is what's just beat into you through life. Of like, you know, you got to give 100%, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? To the point that we've even gone over the 100% bar. Hey, guys, let's uh, let's give 80% today. I think everybody would be like, I'm sorry, what now? What's happening? <laughs> but again, this is that concept, right? Of like, when is good enough good enough? This is such a hard thing. Like when you're working with your team or with individuals or just even in your own world when is it good like when do you stop i actually did a painting not long ago and it was for a very specific purpose and so it wasn't like it was my best work or anything like that but it was an abstract painting which makes it even more difficult because you always run into this this or at least i do this idea of like when am i done and you know i had some friends in town and and he's an an artist a very accomplished artist and so i had to have him tell me like Hey man, it looks good. I I would stop here. So I think part of this is like you have to have some sort of rudder, right? So like where is the line in the sand? And then you've got to have a team or a mentality or philosophy or people to hold you accountable to that. Yes. The article even goes out to state, right, that you'll be able to tell when you've reached that 80% because it'll be the point where your design can be unleashed on the world, even if it isn't perfect. But somebody else may have to make that call because again... Without a deadline, I'm going to keep working on the PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> exactly. And that's the reality, or at least in my mind, the reality. And what makes this difficult is it's like I have to ultimately decide that what I have created is good enough. And that's a hard concept to be okay with, or at least for, at least for a lot of folks, maybe not everybody. But I think for a lot of folks, especially folks that are you know, creative by nature. Let's pivot into a second article that's called Perfectionism versus Thoroughness because it kind of addresses that. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I know. We're getting even further into your psyche here, Reed, so I hope you don't mind. 
perfectionism, much like other extreme character traits. So sorry, Reed, you have an extreme character trait (laughs) (laughs) can create unbalances within a person. And in the case of any kind of product design or software design or whatever it might be, even more so. You have to think about this is that typically when you're at work and you're doing some kind of project, PowerPoints aside, you are part of a team. That team can be comprised of like project managers, design people, software developers, IT people, whatever it might be. That team is very much like a living organism too that finds its own rhythms that can be fed with the right elements in order to thrive and grow. And that typically means that you have to take into account that there's all these different types of personalities and experiences that work together to focus in on solving a problem, a design problem, if you will. That's where this concept of perfectionism will always fail because of all of these different perspectives with multiple people. I don't think you're ever going to achieve perfectionism, so to speak. I think that's by definition, the problem with perfectionism, right? It's like you you never get there. And it is, it's easier, I guess, to point to some of the creative fields because there is a subjectivity to it. Everybody's got a different opinion or or that that kind of thing. And so it's somewhat easy. Like I'm, I'm pretty anal about like, you know, how the things are on my desk, for example. Well, there's nothing creative about that, but I can look and see if stuff is straight or not, <laughs> like it's pretty binary. Like it either is all at right angles or it's not, you know, kind of right, a thing. Right, right, right. But you get in the creative aspects or the you know subjectivity that that we find in some of the things that we do, and it's like, well, how, like, how, what, what does that even mean? Like, I think that's where I think that's where people struggle with this idea. There has to be some principles here that kind of guide us. I I love what this article does. They actually outline a trifecta of factors. Oh, Yeah, I know. I love the term trifecta. That can help guide design teams to understand where, you know, where they can get to. And so, so the first in the trifecta is collaboration. That's imperative in the pursuit of solutions because you have a lot of people involved and collaborated from different stakeholders, users, designers, a variety of people that are coming into play here. You have to make sure that your collaboration is a productive way so that you can actually define exactly what it is you're trying to accomplish. And that allows you to, if you have really good collaboration, it allows you to make it richer and rewarding because of their participation. This is why you design with user input in a focused way. What's the second? Methodology. So having a method or a process by which the work you do uh, is tackled aids everyone on the team, they say, to understand how challenges are really solved for. You can call that project management in some cases, right? But also there's a methodology to software development or whatever it might be, right? And so the third piece is point of view. And that's where the creative aspect of this is what designers bring to the table. It's an amalgamation of who they are, their life experiences, their training, and how they could take all of this and distill it to create whatever that software, that experience, whatever it might be, based on the methodology, the collaborations, the definition of what they're trying to accomplish. This trifecta kind of all leads together into an overall principle that is the thrust of what this article is about. And that principle is being thorough. In this article, they talk about the fact that thorough makes more sense in 
product design than what they discussed previously with perfectionism. So they talk about the fact that perfectionism can still stunt something from its potential. So like maybe you're too worried about being perfect, therefore, you know, it never gets out of the gates kind of a thing. Thorough means that the product as it stands should be accounted for. So I guess like, you know, you're not being careless. You're now being, um, as they say here uh, with the design team, you're also being accountable. Perfectionism is at times very, very much tied to your own personal ego. When you're working with team members, having that sort of sense of accountability to one another will allow you to then, while focusing on thoroughness, collaborate freely and understand what you're trying to accomplish. Okay, so Reed, we're, we're, we're figuring out how to get you through this, uh, <laughs> this concept yeah. Yeah. Of, of not being a perfectionist. Now you're moving to being more thorough, right? And understanding yeah. when it's good enough is good enough. When we come back after the break, we're going to outline a few techniques to ensure that whatever we're designing, if it's an experience, if it's a PowerPoint, if it's software or a product, that we're going to be hitting the good enough design. And we'll do that right after this pause. So now we're ready to overcome perfectionism through being good enough. And we'll end with an article that kind of outlines a few techniques to do so. And these techniques are pretty straightforward. So here, Reed, these are the ways we can, the guidelines that we're going to, we're going to take as we start to be focusing on that 80% good enough design, whatever it might be. So again, I want to give a caveat here by saying we do need a certain level of, you know, people looking out for perfection, right? So this is just kind of broadly speaking, things that we can do to maybe help kind of move things along. So uh, the first is to write the user goals or business goals. So obviously this can be as specific or broad as needed, but I think understanding where you're trying to end up before you start, uh, although that may sound pretty simple or logical, I don't know that we always do that. Like, you know, what, what, what does success look like? And these are user goals and business goals, right? So the article kind of outlines that, first of all, you should, you should try to understand or define two to three user goals from what you're trying to accomplish. Whatever it is you're trying to you're trying to do, and outline those. You can do that through market research. You can do it through polling your, your, your existing users or you know, even doing focus group, whatever it might be. The other thing, though, is also aligning with uh, two to three business goals. What value are you going to be bringing to the business by doing this? What metrics? Why is it worth the time and effort to invest in this feature? If you can outline those... That's going to give you your goals that you need to accomplish whatever this design may be and give you a focus. They follow that up with setting a deadline. Maybe the most important thing you can do. You can't have an open-ended deadline here. And they acknowledge, right, it's difficult to know how long a piece of design work will take. And it can make it hard to set the deadline, but that's okay. Even setting a provisional deadline is helpful. Maybe you look at it, you say, look, by this date, we want to try to accomplish this. Just by having that in place gives you a sense of urgency and a sense of focus. You may have to revisit that deadline to see if that deadline has to stretch a little bit or not. And in this day and age of agile development, there may be times where you have to stretch your your deadline. But even creating a provisional deadline is going to be critical for you to overcome that perfectionism. Third thing on the list, uh, chunk things down, bust everything up into segments, if you will. And that gives you the ability to potentially finish something 
right? And move on to the next thing. So you can always come back, they say, and refine it later, but just start getting things down and, and keep moving. So again, like how do you take those tasks and, and break them up into chunks? In agile project management, those are called sprints and with certain deliverables and it going back and refining it is like what gets added to your backlog, right? So this is really in alignment with agile project management. The next factor is to test your design with your users. And I think this is an important one. Make sure that whatever you're doing, if you have users, run it by them. Now, if you're, it could be if you're creating a piece of software for online appointment scheduling, maybe you have a small like patient family advisory council that you can run this by and have them do some initial tests on the beta version of it. If you're creating a PowerPoint, maybe you can grab your your colleague and bring them in and say, hey, look, I'm working on this. What do you think about this? How does it tell the story, et cetera? Kind of bouncing your ideas off of them. That's a really great way to do, to test your design before you actually release it into the wild, so to speak, or into the world. Again, it's important to understand that it may not be perfect, but you're really testing it to see if there's any major flaws or major gaps in what you're trying to accomplish. And lastly, and I think this is maybe gives some perfectionists out there uh, a bit of comfort is to plan for iteration, right? So it's like where you start, it doesn't necessarily have to be where you finish, you know, kind of thing. So again, it's easy to point to websites. They're never going to be finished. So how do you get out into the world uh, something that's reasonable and knowing that you can kind of go back and, and, and iterate, you know, so again, it's hard to test, you know, with users without, you know, actually putting something out. But again, it gives you the ability to collect data, fix mistakes, you know, adjust, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think as we kind of outline these steps here, it could really help to get us to define what that 80% good enough model will be, realizing that you can always go back and tweak it and, and enhance it as you need to. This gives me great like comfort, knowing that even myself, as I never proclaimed it, but I am now, I'm an occasionally a perfectionist too. I can never get to that end state. This gives me a good kind of framework, a good kind of handle about getting there so I can get to that state of when good enough is indeed good enough. Yeah, I agree. I think this is you know something you don't just one day decide to start doing differently, right? It, but it, it does give me some some ideas and thoughts around, you know, how do you try to keep this at least top of mind as you're making your way through, you know, work that's being done and, and projects and things like that. So this is something, you know, I'm going to strive to, you know, really kind of think through what that means uh, for me, but also my team and, you know, work that we're doing. Yeah, it's an interesting topic for sure. Well, with that, let's take a final pause and then we'll be back to close out the show. All right, great episode. Uh, again, thanks for joining us for another week of Touchpoint. Uh, again, go to the website, touchpoint.health, sign up for the TPS report for those five articles that will uh, get your week started. In addition, love to hear from you. Reach out, give us some feedback, thoughts, comments, topics we should cover, et cetera. And plus, we just love to, love to connect with folks and kind of hear what's top of mind. All right couple of recommendations before we uh, before we get out of here for the week. What uh, what do you got? Reed, I'm going to do a first here. I'm going to recommend something that's a baby-centric product. Okay. And the reason why is because it can be also used by an adult. As a new father, six months now, my little boy uh, just turned six months a few weeks ago. 
you can imagine the amount of new products that come into our household, to toys as well as other you know important things. We recently purchased, because it's now summertime and really kind of warm outside, and we like to go out for walks in his stroller. My wife said, we need to get a stroller fan. Oh. Imagine a little tiny battery-operated stroller fan. It's kind of small. It's uh, built on uh, kind of a flexible tripod that you can wrap around the stroller handles. has three adjustable speeds. And you can rotate it and use it not only in the stroller. You can bring it into a car if the car is too hot. And basically, it's just a small little fan that allows you to keep your baby cool. And I also started to realize that adults could use that too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have air conditioning in the car. But... Every so often, you know, you may want to have the windows down and it uh, on a kind of a nice day, but you need a little bit of that breeze. You can use this little stroller fan as well because you can wrap it around anything, your rear mirror or your, you know, your steering wheel for that matter, if you wanted to. So the one I'm going to recommend is the Amacool battery operated stroller fan. You can get it on Amazon in multiple different colors. It's on sale right now. It's less than $25. And we've used it four or five times since we got it. Just on little little tiny walks, and I tell you that our little man just sits back and he really enjoys that breeze as we're walking on the st- down the street in the stroller. So that's my recommendation this week: get yourself a little fan that you can adapt for your stroller, and or car seat, and or yourself. Nice. I am going to recommend. I don't think we've recommended this on the show. Rocket Book. Does this ring a bell? Mm, no. So Rocketbook, you know, think notebook. I mean, that's what it is. And they come in a variety of sizes, like the mole skin size and the little small kind of reporter flip book size, you know, and things like that. But Rocketbook and the pages you'll notice feel a little bit different. You know, they're a little more plasticky feeling. It comes with a special pen from Pilot called Friction Ball. I'm assuming you can buy these separately. But you take notes, you know, or whatever you do in these little notebooks, doodle, uh, et cetera, make to do list, all those types of fun things. And each page has a QR code on it. And so you download the app and uh, you scan these pages and it allows you to then ship this information, including the kind of text. It'll actually read the, you know, kind of OCR type uh, thing and, and, and take the text and send it to you, but it'll send it to you like a PDF, for example, to your email or, or whatever you want to do. And then it comes with a little microfiber cloth that you can then just wipe the pages off and just keep oh, wow. the same book over and over again. So anyway, I, I got gifted uh, kind of the small one. Again, it kind of fits in your back pocket, you know, a little reporter spiral notebook uh, looking thing. And so I've been carrying it for a few days now, just kind of trying it out and see what I think. And it's, it's pretty cool. I, I like it. Again, as somebody that just kind of carries a notebook around the office to meetings and things like this this may be a new way to kind of do that and keep up with all my notes versus just having you know a bunch of different books laying around so anyway check it out i know a couple of my team members use them as well but uh rocket book yeah wow i'm looking at their website right now and they have four different sizes it's really great yeah, and I think there's some other applications as well, with like larger boards and stuff like that. But yeah, kind of a neat product. So check it out. It's not really that expensive either. So um, from what I can tell, plus it adds to your digital cred, right? Yeah, you just look like the digital guy. You pull out this electronic notebook. That's right. Yeah. So so yeah, let me start back over my recommendation. If you like to write things down but still want to be the digital person. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is a way to do that. So no, uh, but yeah, check it out. Maybe, maybe something that works uh, works for you. So there you go. There you go. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, certainly appreciate all the support. For Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.